Are the holidays a time when interfaith differences might come to a head when they really haven't before in the relationship? Absolutely. Probably Christmas and Hanukkah are the biggies Mm -hmm. because it used to be that the Christmas tree was the deal breaker. Hello, and welcome back for a pre-holiday episode of Interstates and Heartbreak. I'm really excited to introduce Judy Greenfield, known as the Relationship Rabbi. She is the spiritual leader of Nachshon Minyan. And like I mentioned to her, I know I did not pronounce that to the best of my ability, but wanted to give it a good effort. And it's an inclusive alternative congregation in Los Angeles. Her personal specialty is premarital couples counseling and assessing long-term relationship compatibility, and she's particularly versed in helping interfaith couples navigate differences in lifestyle and beliefs in order to create a cohesive lifestyle together. So I'm really honored to have her as a guest at this time in particular, given the fact that the holidays are coming up and this has an added relevance in our lives. And I've also taken a recent personal interest in this subject, which we'll dive into later. So that being said, I would love to introduce Judy. Well, it is such a pleasure to be here and be talking with you, especially at this time of year, because it is a time of joy. And this brings even more joy to this time of year, or it can. Yes, definitely can. It's definitely an exciting time, even given all the craziness that's going on. Still a lot of sentiments and excitement to be had, potentially. I think that marriage, especially, or having any ceremonies around this time of year or planning for them, keeps our hope alive. And I think that it's more important now than ever to celebrate with people, even on a small scale, and talk about it. And for all of us to know that it's ongoing, and there have been a lot of COVID relationships forming, which I think is also a silver lining that we don't always look at during this time. It's so true. Yes, I do feel like it's really inspired people to connect because our lives are not necessarily as fast paced and as full as they might be before a pandemic. And so I do think it's helped people to prioritize and realize what's truly important and take that time to form meaningful connections, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the pace also that we're at gives us a time to reflect more and think about the future and what we want to develop, not only from the relationship, but in families and going forward in our lives. So there is a a chance to really sit down and, and have those meaningful talks, probably more now than ever. It's so true. It's so true. So that being said, I would love to hear what inspired you to get into this field. How did you become the relationship rabbi as we know you today? It's interesting because it's kind of an oxymoron to call me the relationship (laughs) rabbi. And when it did happen, it was at a time that I was speaking with my team and I was going through a divorce, actually. Mm -hmm. And so I said, you can't call me the relationship rabbi when I'm going through this. And The feeling was all the more so Mm -hmm. because you really know what real relationship takes and you also know how relationships can grow apart. And to have the full gamut of that experience can be very beneficial and it can help so many people. So that insight has actually drove me to do this work and to be able to talk to couples who trust that, who feel that I'm coming from a place of experience and I'm not just performing a service without understanding how, you know, they feel or how they have felt or what their concerns are. So that's how it came about. And I love working with couples and weddings especially are so much fun because I really customize the wedding to the couple and allow it to be their ceremony. So it has a different feel than everyone else's. That is really beautiful. And I think that you brought up something when we had our first conversation about how there really is a benefit to having a spiritual leader involved if you are going through a wedding ceremony. And I think that in our modern society, that is becoming less common for some people who maybe are not as active in their faith. But you brought up such a good point that 
when you have somebody who has gone through so much with you and has counseled you and is able to kind of offer, I don't necessarily want to say a third party, but a different perspective than like a friend maybe who is seeing you in a different light that, you know, you really do get to have that personalization that you just mentioned. And so I'd love to hear a bit more about what does that personalization look like? What does the process look like as you're guiding couples through the premarital process? I feel that I'm really fortunate to meet a couple and learn about them in the very early stages of their marriage. I work with them for about a year, not every week, but a few times before the wedding. Mm -hmm. And that's when they're in love, and that's when they're in the vision of what they want to have. That's when they sign a ketubah, which is a marriage contract. Mm -hmm. At that point in time, they're at their best, and they're seen at their best. Mm -hmm. And I think that if a couple later on is going through times that are difficult, I can reflect back to say, I know you as a couple. I was there with you when you made your vows. And I see you as that couple, even through these hard times. Don't forget that that is there. Don't get fooled by going through a hard time and think that's all you have, because it's much greater than that. I also feel that when you are a clergy, you follow the couple through their lives and you get to see their children and their children grow. Mm -hmm. And so it's just a feeling that through your life, you have kind of a guardian angel, somebody who's really there and cares because I truly do care and I love to watch families grow. I've had the pleasure of that mm -hmm. and direct them when they want to have a life that has a little bit more spirituality, whatever it is, have someone to discuss what they want to practice as they grow older. And so if you have a friend, it's a different feeling. I'm also always got their back. I'm behind them because I want them to succeed. Yeah. And so that is also a really nice feeling. That's a good point. A friend does have such a different perspective. And as much as you develop friends as a couple, I feel like to an extent, there's always a friend who's closer to one member of the party. And so they're going to maybe have that person's back a little bit more. But to that regard, sometimes your friend having your back doesn't always result in what's best for the relationship. Right. They might think it does, but they don't necessarily see the full picture. And they're not coming from the perspective of necessarily wanting to fully understand what the other person is going through. And so having you there where it's like, you're not rooting for one person or the other, you're just rooting for them to succeed as a family unit. That is very powerful. Mm -hmm. And you also, the fact that you get to serve as a mirror, but for all of their most positive history is really powerful as well, because I do understand that it could be really easy to be short-sighted and only look at the conflict that's right in front of you without remembering what inspired you to get to that place to begin with and what inspired you to commit to each other? Absolutely. I feel we need that in our lives, in everything that we do. Somebody who remembers you as a success and when you have been filled with passion because we do have a lot of different things happen in our lives where that doesn't show or where we forget that's who we are. And that's a special gift to have. It really is. So I would love to dive into... You mentioned a marriage contract. What does that look like? What types of things do you have couples go through and agree upon before they go through the process of getting married? The Jewish custom of having a ketubah was really meant to do that. And a ketubah is a contract, mm -hmm. but it's based on an ancient Jewish marriage. It's a little bit scary at first. And I remember I was so against contracts and mm -hmm. things in black and white because you're really held to your word. Mm -hmm. And I've completely switched over in having my own relationships. And because there are times that you feel that you want things to be a certain way. And to remember that whether you set down rules or boundaries, you can always go back to those words and remember and also decide if that has to change. For example, if you need time alone, it doesn't mean you don't love the other person, but it's a request that is so loving to yourself. And it's so important to know that that person feels loved 
when they can't be with you all the time. Mm. You both need time to reflect on yourself so that you can bring more to the relationship. And so those little things that you don't think about, I don't want a TV in the bedroom, Mm -hmm. or we're going to have a TV in the bedroom, or where will we compromise? So the contract is something that's ever growing, Mm -hmm. but I think it's also a foundation that at times in your marriage, and I was married 30 years, but there it's touchstones to say, oh, we're growing this way, and now we see things a different way. So that's why I think it's important that it's handwritten, that it is something that you can refer to. Mm-hmm. Because again, we lose perspective of what that really means. That's very true. Yeah, it's a very grounding element. And it's very loving. It's the opposite of what I ever thought. I thought it would be binding and burdensome. No, it's freeing. And it actually is really loving. Yeah, yeah. It comes from such a good place of saying we want to make sure that we're on the same page so that we can build the strongest foundation together. And let's just address these up front, rather than winging it as things come up that you might not anticipate. One of the things that I found is to put in the contract how much you want each other to succeed Mm. and how much you love one another. And you're saying things in a loving way to build your relationship and not to destroy it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we get short or we forget that this is a team that we have and we feel like, you know, you feel pitted against your partner. And if you stop for a moment and look at the bigger picture and remember, wait, this person loves me. I love this person. How do we come to this so that we can succeed really as partners? Yes. That's helpful too. Yeah, definitely. So you mentioned that you had a 30-year marriage of your own, and that's such a rich relationship history. What would you say you were able to take from that experience that you now use as you're helping to guide couples through their own experiences? I think that the love and the desire to produce something really wonderful in your life and the dedication, I think, unfortunately, people can grow apart Mm -hmm. and I think that that is, you know, it's more common than we think, especially as we get older. I'm not a youngster. Mm -hmm. So I think that that is one of the most important pieces is how much you do create together. And that in my 30-year marriage, I was the best I could be. We were a great team. We made beautiful children. Mm -hmm. We collaborated in so many ways and created so many beautiful things that will be there forever. And now we're in a different phase in our lives. There's a saying in Judaism that you start your lives and you intertwine your souls and you become something greater than you were before. And I think that that union is truly real. And you become the best version of yourself when you find your Besherit or your other half. And to not forget that best self always. Mm -hmm. That's a gift from your marriage. That was a gift from my marriage. Ah, That's so beautiful. I love that. So I guess kind of to backtrack, because you know, we're talking now about how you can strengthen your relationship once you've decided that this is your person, you want to build a life together. But I feel like there are so many differences to navigate early on before you even really know if this person could be a long term partner. And In my experience and talking to some of my friends who are single at this time, sometimes there's a stigma against bringing up topics that are too serious or too forward looking early on. I feel like, you know, there can be this pressure to be a cool girl and feel like, oh, I'm just going with the flow. We're just having fun, even if that's not true. So, you know, I think that can include speaking about religious practices and beliefs, your thoughts on marriage, your plans for children. And all of these are obviously incredibly important for compatibility. So given the importance, but also the fear of maybe scaring somebody off or coming across as too serious, what do you recommend for when couples should bring this up? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I think that when you bring these topics up, of course, you know, don't do it immediately. You do this when you have this trust built. And it's, I think for everybody, it's a little different. Mm -hmm. But if your partner can't handle those things, then that's a red flag. Mm -hmm. And there are some 
incredible men, but they're just resistant to yes. being that way. And I want to say that that's a part of acceptance too. Marriage is a huge compromise, but to know that that's going to be an issue later. Mm-hmm. The fact that you can't sit down and agree on those things and it takes mature people to do it. It's scary. Yes. But I think that when you do it, you've grown together in a way where you're taking responsibility. And so I'm not saying it's the only thing that will help, but you have to know your strengths and weaknesses. Communication is very hard in a relationship in the beginning because there are so many fears. And this is where I think counseling is also good. When I'm sitting with them, I become that third party that is going to ask them those questions that they may not want to bring up. Yes. So that is another plus. So that being said, do you then recommend counseling fairly early? Because like you're mentioning, you know, this could be a way to broach those difficult topics. So how early do you think couples should maybe consider going in for counseling? Well, you know, when they hear the word counseling, I also don't want them to get scared. We have a Mm -hmm. great conversation. (laughs) And once they've come to me, there is this seriousness that they've made this step. I think that that's the first yes or check mark, because they're going to expect a clergy to say, well, you know, first, what do you love about each other? And then here are a few things that are worth talking about and worth thinking about as you are growing in these next few months before your ceremony. And sometimes there are things that sometimes they're avoided and I do not push because, again, I don't think there is a perfect formula, but I also know that it starts them thinking, how do we want to raise our children? Mm -hmm. We're intermarried. What synagogue would we want to go to or what clergy would we want to be attached to that's going to understand? Things like that. Where will our community be? Mm -hmm. And in this day and age, too, community is very, very important. Yes. So I also, when I talk about these things, I offer them suggestions so they don't feel that they have to make it up out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And that's the beginning of conversations that they can have with me whenever they're ready. Hmm. Okay. So really just varies from couple to Absolutely. couple. Yeah. So kind of going back to, you know, you mentioned if someone's unwilling to talk about these things, that is a red flag and that makes total sense. And so I think that Recently, dating apps, they have taken more care to include some of these family planning or future planning questions on the app. So for example, on Hinge, you have the option to select whether you want children and you can say yes, you can say no, you can say open to children, or you can skip the question. So sometimes I feel like, you know, you see people who will say open to children, or maybe in terms of what they're looking for, like, not sure. And I feel like it's such a cop out. It almost negates the usefulness of the question because they're just leaving it open so that no matter what someone is looking for, they're not necessarily going to rule you out. It's like, oh, you could go either way. So do you feel like that's an even bigger red flag if someone is just kind of sitting on the fence, even if it's early on just in their dating profile before you've gotten to know them? Yeah, I think that that's something you ask them about immediately. That is one good thing about the dating profiles because it's out of the way. Mm -hmm. And if someone says not yet, that's something that is an easy opportunity for you to say, hey, you know, you wrote this down. I'd like to know more about it. Yeah. Again, I think that dating apps and all that, they're a risk. And they Mm -hmm. are, for many people, leaving your options completely open for fear of somebody getting the wrong idea. Mm -hmm. I think you just brought up an area, though, that is positive, that you can know what you're stepping into. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, they're telling the truth. (laughs) Yes, that's that's also a key thing. You never quite know. But then I do feel like when they say something that is more polarizing, like, for example, if they say don't want children, and they're drawing a hard line in the sand, safe to assume they would not say that unless they felt very firm about it, especially knowing it might be polarizing to potential partners. So that is at least helpful when it comes to the people who are forthcoming about that information. Yeah, yeah, I think it's important. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned, of course, that you work with couples who are interfaith. And so I think that again, 
speaking about early on in the dating process, in my personal experience, and this has been through many conversations that I've had with friends, there's a fear sometimes among my friends who are not practicing Judaism that, you know, they might meet someone who is practicing Judaism, particularly if it's a man who they're trying to date, and that they might date them, but they're worried that long term, there might not be a serious commitment, because maybe they're willing to date outside of their religion. But in the long term, they do want to marry someone who practices the same faith as they do. So have you experienced this with any of your clients where maybe like something has worked for a short term, but there hasn't really been an intention of making it long term because of those differences? I have counsel couples where the wife or the wife to be really wanted to explore how to merge their relationship. Mm -hmm. And in that discussion, we really had to talk about what she might be giving up or what she might have to change about her practice. Mm -hmm. And in the end, they both decided that it wasn't going to work for them because it was the sense that they really had very different belief systems that were going to get in the way. So if you have two people who are very involved in their religion, you have much more of a challenge. Mm -hmm. That being said, there are wonderful ways in this world and at this time in particular, and there's so much opportunity to get to know about each other's faith and where it comes from. Because if they have a strong faith, it means that they have strong spirit and a strong connection to something greater than themselves, Mm -hmm. which is wonderful. And by knowing that that's above everything else, it can bring people closer. Mm But you have to have a way of talking about it. Yes. And you must have a way of knowing where your compromises are, and you have to be knowledgeable. And this is where education comes in, that religion isn't an afterthought. It's really something that is so building in a relationship. What rituals do we want to have? What customs are meaningful to us? I don't know if you can do it all. I think in the American culture, we try to do it all. <laughs> Yes. You know, and as long as we're not thinking about the deep roots of why we're doing everything, sometimes it's just family time that mm-hmm. I completely understand. Yes. The more educated you are, the more you realize, well, let me see what this holiday is really celebrating. Mm-hmm. It's not just sending a Hallmark card yeah. and it says, I love you. So it depends on the people. It does. So I guess kind of going back to how you mentioned you need to bring these conversations up early on. So how would you recommend, like if somebody is dating someone who has a different faith than them, and so clearly they're not closed off to dating someone of that faith, but let's say you're worried like, oh my gosh, but are they going to marry me? How do you bring that up without saying, okay, but do you plan to marry me? (laughs) Like what should that initiating conversation look like? I believe it's when you are feeling that you are looking towards a future. Mm -hmm. I think the safer steps is to talk about what that future is going to look like and see if you fit into that future. Because I know there are many incredible women out there that have great jobs and they are thriving at those jobs. And they're going to need to make decisions about when they want to have children and how they want to have somebody in their life because they're not going to have as much time. Mm -hmm. And I think those things are very helpful in that kind of discussion. Because there's a lot of couples that never get married and are together. You have all kinds. Everything that I'm saying, I do want to say, there's always exceptions to the rule. And I'm speaking in more general terms, but what you're talking about is the willingness for the two of you to start talking about what you see in the future, because that's going to really tell you if someone is serious or not on either side. And that's the safer step. Mm -hmm. That's so true. And everything that you're saying, I feel like it just takes such maturity. And a lot of times, you know, in early relationships, I think it's so hard to exhibit that because again, people are afraid. And it shouldn't be that way. But I think sometimes depending on the security of the relationship or your approach to dating, like, there can just be so much insecurity about like, well, I don't want to scare this person away. And I think the healthier approach is like, if I scare this person away, then it probably wasn't my person, assuming that you're not coming about it in some crazy way. So it's just a matter of kind of reminding yourself of that and getting over it, which I know can be difficult. But well, and I think it takes some planning to think about the right timing, mm-hmm. you know, to not scare the other one and say, we have to have a talk about this, but to pre think and maybe this is more on the woman's part, if she is worried about it or concerned about it, to pre think it and to 
start by saying, I really think that we are great together mm -hmm. and it would mean a lot to me if we could sit down and just discuss some little things that I've been thinking. It mm -hmm. takes some pre-thought. Mm -hmm. What is going to be something that you want in the relationship? And to start with yourself is very loving. Mm -hmm. And the fact that if you do that, the person that you're with, if they're rejecting of that, then again, it's a red flag. And mm -hmm. you're right. It seems that when you want to get married, it brings out the youth in you. You don't want to think about anything bad because, you know, you're scared and you feel childlike in some ways, but mm -hmm. grown up in some ways. Maybe that's why people get married later so that they can take more of an adult perspective. Mm -hmm. But I think it takes one person and probably a person listening to this show right now who's going to say, all right, how can I take this much of a step, an increment, yeah. to create an assurance for later on in my life? It's a loving step for you personally and for them as well. Because mm -hmm. you want it to last. You want it to work. Yeah. And I love that you said it takes planning because I feel like oftentimes what happens is people are like, I'm not going to bring this up. And then it just bubbles and bubbles and bubbles under the surface. Worst case scenario, you have a few too many drinks and then things come <laughs> spewing out and you don't even plan it in a way that you want it to come out. And that I feel like is so much more damaging, but I feel like sometimes that happens. And so being intentional about it at least can make the conversation a lot smoother and something that you're not going to look back on and be like, I can't believe I framed it this way when you could have come towards the conversation in such a mature fashion. So true. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. So I'm curious, how do you feel that relationships can impact someone's relationship with their own faith? So for example, can consideration of what it's like to experience a different faith deepen someone's appreciation for their own? Or alternatively, have you seen instances where, you know, someone realizes that things that they've grown up with maybe aren't quite as important when it comes to that compromise that they have to make with a partner who doesn't share that same faith or that same belief? Yeah, I think that and I've seen this happen over and over again in the best way that when someone grows up Jewish, there's a lot they take for granted. Mm -hmm. And I've seen this especially in conversion. And so their education level is maybe up to 13 years old, because that's when they had a bar bat mitzvah, and then they, or up to 15 if they went to confirmation. Mm -hmm. And they stop learning. And the best learning comes when you're older. So when their partner takes interest and deepens the understanding and starts to learn why and that this isn't just because someone said so mm -hmm. or questions those things. It provides such a deeper and more beautiful picture of what was taught to that partner at a young age. Mm -hmm. So I find in conversion that the partner who is already Jewish changes. Mm -hmm. And plus, it becomes their Judaism, not mm -hmm. their parents' Judaism, yes. not what their mom did, but they have to make decisions about it, what they didn't like in their house. Mm -hmm. And it strengthens the couple so much because they can form their ideas as a couple and not get pushed around by their families, which is what happens if you don't do that. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. So I guess when one person in a relationship decides to convert? Like, when would you say conversion is the right path forward? And I pose that question, understanding that there isn't one solid answer. It's a variation of situations and scenarios. But have you seen any commonalities in when conversion is the right path forward for this couple? And it does make the most sense versus when it's not necessarily the path that this couple needs to take? I've seen all of it. I've seen many women or men come to conversion prior to the marriage mm -hmm. because they want to experience a Jewish wedding in a different mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. And it's been powerful for them. The most important thing is that they are never rejected by the faith that they're converting to. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the reasons why I was one of the first to do intermarriage oh. because I saw the negative effects of somebody being forced into a conversion. Mm -hmm. And I've also seen the negative effects about saying, I won't do your wedding. 
it changes the way the person who's Jewish feels for the rest of their life because they feel rejected. And so I had a wonderful teacher, Rabbi Stan Levy, who said, you never know. When that door is open, that's the most important thing. There are many, many young people who will go through the conversion and not do the final conversion. They're not ready, Mm -hmm. which is fine. And they're never pushed. But I've found that what happens is they decide to go through conversion later. Mm -hmm. My friend, actually, he and his wife, he decided to become Jewish right before his daughter's bat mitzvah Mm. because it was a time where the whole family was focused on something Jewish and he wanted to be included in a different way. And so by constantly including him and inviting him in and not caring what religion he was, but just making him part of the family, that was so loving and encouraging for him that that was his time. And he had he could make up his mind and feel that that was being honored. He wasn't pushed. Mm-hmm. I did a conversion with this woman who was pregnant, and that's when she decided she wanted to be Jewish for her baby. Mm-hmm. So she went through conversion then. It really depends on the person, but this is where it's very important to for that couple to communicate. Mm-hmm. It's not like in the old days, I don't think, where one partner so afraid they're going to lose their connection with their family if that person doesn't convert. Mm-hmm. Thank God that's changed. Yes. And I don't think that that was such a good thing. And Judaism is not the kind of religion that forces and proselytizes a faith. It actually kind of discourages because it really has to be something you choose and really want to do because once you're converted, you're Jewish. There's mm-hmm. no, I mean, there's never a day that you're not. Yeah. So that's something to learn too. Mm-hmm. So in the decision that, you know, the couple thinks about it and they come to the conclusion that neither person in the relationship is going to convert. So the conversation obviously needs to evolve, especially as, you know, you're talking about blending families down the line. So like you mentioned today, I think more parents are very accepting. And so there's less of a fear that, you know, your family is going to disown you. But there still might be some parents who are a bit less accepting of differences than maybe their children's generation. How would you recommend that couples deal with those kinds of conversations with their parents or grandparents? I think the most important thing is to look at religion as something that unites rather than divides. Mm -hmm. And the way to do that is to remember that the three major religions, Judaism, Islam and Christianity come from the same source. We all share the Old Testament. And so we're monotheists. And that's where I try to have the discussion from. And that has created a lot of success because that's how I can include any family member who might feel afraid that it needs to be done a certain way. And when you have a conversation, it alleviates a lot of the fears. It's really fear that family feels like they'll lose their connection with their child mm-hmm. or that, you know, they're going to go to hell or some of those things. And I also feel that you have to respect them for what they are doing. Mm-hmm. And I also make a point to say thank you for doing it this way and for learning and for trying and know how important you are as a grandparent who's going to educate and show this child that there are many more similarities than there are differences. We all believe in goodness. We all are value-oriented. We all have our customs. And that kind of approach is very honoring. And when you come from a place of honoring and curiosity about one another, first of all, you start to see similarities, but really, really beautiful realities that are new to you, but mean so much. And I think that once you set the tone that way, that one isn't better than another, you're going to be successful Mm -hmm. with the whole family. Yeah. And I also think, you know, you bringing up the fact that fear is such a motivator that resonates so much because I do feel like a lot of the reasons why people might 
have trepidations about people who come from any different background, whether it's religious or something else, I think it is fear. And it's just, you know, misconceptions. And I love the fact that you take a unifying approach and really focus on the similarities that people can find within one another, rather than simply explaining what the differences are. Yeah. Yeah. And then of course, you know, it comes to when you are going to raise children. And if you've decided you're both going to practice your own faiths, I feel like that can be a whole new difficulty in itself. And so I think another fear, which we had briefly mentioned in our initial discussion is that people are worried that, you know, the children might have an identity crisis if they're raised in a household that practices two faiths. And I know you mentioned that that's not usually the case. So I would love to hear kind of like what you've seen from couples who have children and raise them with two different religions. I've seen this done successfully. As long as the two people have a spiritual approach and have a respect for each other's religion. Mm-hmm. I think that's key. And where they do spend time in a church, but they also spend time in a synagogue. And I know that that's outrageous for certain families who are very traditional. I can understand that. But I think that it's also creating the opportunity to admire differences. This education piece is so crucial. And it makes you and it'll make people feel like they're learning something and they're getting nourished by something different. Mm -hmm. And this idea of they're going to ask the questions of why does mommy do this? And why does daddy do this? And I'd say to the couple, be prepared. Mm -hmm. And the learning together of the couple is what the children pick up. Mm. If there's polarity in, oh, I don't, ugh, that faith, or ugh, that faith, oh, we don't like religion at all, that can create some of the identity crisis. Because then what do we believe in? Yeah. And I think that's a harder road. I think that's workable, too, because there are good reasons for those roads. And as long as there's the respect, you're going to be successful. Yeah. Yeah, I think posing a united front would be so key. Like I can't even imagine not being prepared to answer those questions, having different answers from your partner when your child asks you the same thing. I just feel like that would be so chaotic. And I I also feel like in addition to causing issues for the child and just confusion, I imagine it would also raise issues within the relationship as well. If you kind of realize that you were presenting this different ideology to the child and, and not really united and like how you should message things and like how you want to approach this. And let me tell you, those kids are going to ask every question that's uncomfortable. Yeah. And in the past, you'd go to your parents probably for those answers. And maybe they didn't even have good answers. They didn't have diverse answers. Mm-hmm. And now it's a whole different thing because there's so many opportunities. So it doesn't just have to come from one line of thinking yeah. that might have you know, grown up with certain prejudices or information that was not correct. Mm-hmm. There's so many more opportunities for that. And that's also why I think it's very important to be connected to a clergy Mm -hmm. and a clergy that you really trust and who is open to that. This is why I created the Nakshon Minyan, the synagogue that I preside over, because I wanted people to have a place where they were comfortable asking those questions. I can't teach them about Jesus, but they need to know that the Jewish people know that Jesus was a teacher mm-hmm. and to understand that time period, what was going on during that ancient time period where there were people who had all different thoughts. Mm-hmm. And so I think that is just so key and wasn't really there before. Yeah. What do you think is most important as you're messaging all of this to children in order to make them feel like they're empowered to choose whichever path or neither path, honestly? Just letting them tell me what they think about it Mm -hmm. and not reacting. Yeah. By me just, and I am genuinely curious about what they think, if they believe in God and what they don't believe in, what they do believe in. I feel that them knowing that I'm not going to judge them and I'm going to help guide them is just so important. Yeah, That's how to have the conversation, not come in with dogmatic truth and this is the only way, but leaving them the dignity of discovering what 
feels right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. So kind of going off into the unideal scenario, when couples do realize that it's not going to work, and I know you mentioned one couple up front where they realized that, you know, once they discussed the sacrifices that the wife would have to make in order to adopt her husband's faith, they realized it just wasn't going to be worth pursuing for either of them. How do you how do you come to that realization? Like, how do you distinguish the differences that are insurmountable from problems that can be worked through? I think everybody has their bottom lines, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think that's a really good thing to know before you go get married. I mean, for both members of the couple, for both partners to know where they just feel is their bottom line. It's liberating to know what you will not tolerate, Mm -hmm. what you cannot give up. Mm -hmm. And there's such an honesty to yourself and to your own truth, that I think it is liberating. And I think the other partner, as hurt as they might be, at least is dealing with truth. Mm -hmm. And you can't argue with that. Because if that's really the truth, and it's so opposite you, then your struggles will be, you know, in vain, it's not going to change. Yeah. And that's some of the problem, too, is that there is this fantasy that people will change. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's good to think that, but to always know that when it doesn't happen, you've got to remember you came into this contract knowing this person does not like change. Yeah. Yeah. And I spoke about this in a recent episode as well, where, you know, a lot of times early on in dating, this doesn't even have anything to do with faith. You know, you might be dating someone, it's going so well. And they're like, yeah, I don't know that I'm ready for a girlfriend or ready for a relationship. And you're like, great, I want one. And it's going so well that surely they'll change their mind. But it's kind of like, that would be really amazing. And I know that we all would love to believe that we can be that person to inspire that change in somebody. But if someone has kind of drawn a hard line in the sand like that, I think it's so important to really take that at face value rather than live in a world of like, what ifs? Yeah, I think that there's a certain age range too, where I know that my kids are at this age range. And I know that I was too, where you're looking to start your family and, you know, I don't want to say there's a clock ticking because that's so cliche, but... (laughs) There is a time period where this is important for you. And I do think because that's a pressure, you overlook certain things. Mm -hmm. It takes a strong person to come to some of these truths and to also give yourself a break. You could have all the right things. I thought I had all the right things and it still doesn't work. And that is being human. And it's a hard one if you draw the line and say everything has to be perfect or it's not perfect. That's where I think that, you know, just like what you're saying, you can be really responsible. You can be very mature. But if you don't know, that's where it's in God's hands. Mm -hmm. I mean, after that, where you've tried, you have to let go. Mm -hmm. And if the relationship doesn't work out, you learn that you have the strength to carry forward. Mm -hmm. And that this wasn't going to work for you. And that's the trust and faith that there is somebody out there for you. And I believe there is somebody out there for everyone. Mm -hmm. And maybe that person has to do more work on themselves. Maybe that person has to soften their heart more. Maybe that person has to go through something. And to trust that there is a journey ahead. That there is always going to be, especially if your heart is open, you're going to find your other half. Mm Mm-hmm. But I know that's terrifying, and I know that it really takes a leap of faith on that one. Yeah. And I feel like it's really important to kind of set these boundaries and all of your standards before you enter a relationship, honestly, because I feel like it would be a lot easier to kind of get swept away and push your boundaries and your standards to the side if you've met this person who makes you so happy, in spite of the fact that they're not meeting things that are going to be important to you down the line, because you're like, well, things are great, like, 
we don't have to deal with this issue in the present moment. So why not just continue dating and see where things go? And so I think if you set those before you meet them, then you're more likely to kind of stick to it, even when you're posed with this scenario where you're like, this person is really great, but they do have this deal breaker that I've established for myself beforehand. And that's good, actually, because you're going to say this is the deal breaker. Can I live with that particular deal breaker? Because you could. Yeah. And you will know that that's something that you're going to work on. But it's being true to yourself. Mm -hmm. And there's no ideal relationship. There's always going to be deal breakers. Which ones are the ones that you can tolerate and which (laughs) you can tolerate? Yes. But that women are even thinking this, what you're talking about there's more couples than not who started that way mm-hmm. and with so much innocence and one was stronger than the other. And you said, okay, okay. Not ever thinking there'd be a day where you went, you know what? I really don't like that. Yeah. That's what I mean about the contract needing to have an update like every five years. Do we still feel this way? Mm-hmm. Just that discussion, even if you don't deepen your relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's also interesting because I listened to another podcast that talks about how dating is even a series of contract negotiations. You know, it's like before you decide to commit to each other, you're kind of figuring out like, okay, what are the terms? Like, how often are we going to see each other? And obviously, it's not a formalized thing. It's just kind of like, as you're going through the process, it's like, oh, like, we're seeing each other once a week. But then maybe you get to a certain point, you're like, oh, I'd like to renegotiate, like, we're getting more serious. So I want to see you two or three times a week and kind of putting that out there, seeing if the other person accepts the terms. And if they don't, then you can't really move forward until you realize you're on the same page. Yeah. Yeah. I think the fact that you're even realizing in your mind that there are little contracts will help you not get into expectations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to do a lot of that inner talking to ourselves when we fall in love because, you know, we just want to go forward. It feels so good. But to mm-hmm. just remind yourself that, okay, these are the terms and this outweighs this it's you know you're always doing that and there will be this middle place where love just takes over all of that and you can find your way through yeah as we're talking through this you know i feel like as i've done this dating podcast i've done so much more reflection even every time i write an outline i feel like it forces me to do reflection as i'm kind of planning for these episodes and this discussion is just really bringing to the surface you have to do so much reflection you should do so much work and be so intentional and it's tough because i feel like what we see in the media doesn't show any of that you know it shows the meet cute and it shows like maybe some of the fights and like some of the work that you do but it glosses over all that for the most part and shows just like getting through it and a rosy happy-go-lucky ending and i feel like it just it's tough because it really takes experience to understand the full depth of the self-work that you have to do in order to be in a healthy successful relationship And it also takes relationships of people who are older than you who have healthy relationships to help. You need help. You need people to talk to. Mm -hmm. But isn't that what our fairy tales set us up for? They always get up to the point of they get married. Well, what does happily ever after look like? We don't get that. We never see. (laughs) Right. And so media does that to us also. And this is the stuff we need to learn about. How do you deal with those things? Because life is going to be there for you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that's where your podcast is wonderful because you have the courage and you're willing to say, hey, let's look at this. And what do we do? And not just listen to one person tell you or a therapist, mm-hmm. which I don't think is always the way to go. It's one way. Mm-hmm. But I think there are many ways you can find the key to a successful relationship. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I love interviewing people who have a variety of experiences. Because I'm like, yeah, I can speak to a few things that I've gone through in my own life. I'm also not an expert by any means. And I think it's just so much more valuable to have a variety of experiences with different guests, because I'm like, this will speak to some people. And it might not speak to everybody. But hopefully, there's a wide enough array that people can kind of take something from at least one of the episodes that really resonates with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So going forward with the holidays, which is very topical, as we mentioned, have you noticed, are the holidays a time when interfaith differences might come to a head when they really haven't before in the relationship? 
Absolutely. Probably Christmas and Hanukkah are the biggies Mm -hmm. because it used to be that the Christmas tree was the deal breaker, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's not. I've had many couples who thought it was, and I've also had Jewish people who were used to having Christmas trees. Mm -hmm. And so I think that here's where education is helpful, too, because I don't mean to, you know, smash anybody's myths, but Christmas is not really the birth of Christ, and Hanukkah is not really the story about the oil. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Those were stories that were added. And the truth is, those two holidays were created to bring light to the darkest time of the year. Mm -hmm. And you find that out if you look at other cultures, Sweden, every single culture has some kind of holiday of light because people would get depressed. Mm. And so that makes so much sense. And when you have a festivity to look forward to, the authentic roots of it may not be, you know, honoring something you don't believe in. And I think we all believe in bringing light into a dark time. Mm -hmm. So from that standpoint, I think that's something that's really interesting Mm -hmm. to look at, you know, what are you really celebrating? Yeah. What I realized Growing up Jewish, I I never had a Christmas tree, but when I was speaking with people who were converting to Judaism, the saddest thing for them was they had beautiful ornaments that they would put on their trees. And that brought up so much of their traditions and happy memories. And to have to give that up is too much. Mm -hmm. And I always recommended that bring those out. Like, your job is to talk about your happy family stories. Mm -hmm. What are those holidays really about? Mm -hmm. And they're about telling stories of hope. Mm -hmm. And it's about telling stories that inspire you and help you to endure. Mm -hmm. And that's the real focus. And I think that if we focused on that more than whether it's Jewish or Christian or whatever it is, Again, it's that focus. What are we really here for? Yeah. What do we really want in our world? We want to get along. We want to have peace. And there's not one right or wrong way anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So I was going to bring this up later, but you brought it up earlier. And it's just very poignant to what I'm going through now or was going through very recently. And so I was actually dating somebody who practices Judaism and I practice Christianity. Neither of us... I would say that we're particularly religious, I would say, you know, like I do go to church on Christmas Eve with my mom on Easter. That's about it. Like I don't really practice or go to church regularly. And I remember when I met this person, he said he's not very religious. And then we actually had a conversation kind of out of the blue. I don't even remember exactly how it came up, but he just said, oh, I would never have a Christmas tree in my house. And it took me aback. We hadn't been dating for very long. I hadn't thought about it, you know, because we were nowhere near talking about living together. And so I kind of asked a few questions. And I was like, well, okay, I mean, I've always had a Christmas tree It is something that is very sentimental to me, not even because of the religion, just because of what it represents in terms of the holidays and togetherness. And just the fact that it's something that's been a staple in my life. And so I was like, well, if I were to get a tree, would you come with me to pick it out? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. And then I was like, well, what if I wanted to go to the grove to see the Christmas tree there and see the snow? Would you go to that? And he's like, yeah. And so it was just this interesting challenge that I hadn't considered of somebody who's obviously not, you know, anti-Christmas and is willing to participate in these things to an extent but wouldn't embrace them into their own life down the line to that degree. And it didn't come to a point where that had to be discussed. But I don't know, it's just something that I imagine is something that people have to go through. And I'd love to talk about what a dual celebration would look like in an ideal scenario and how someone might kind of broach that if they're going through something similar, like a reluctance to have things that represent the other tradition over the holidays in their home. Yeah, it takes people who are really open. And as I said before, when the Christmas tree becomes a problem, it's something that they grew up with. Mm -hmm. I know that in my home, I grew up conservative. So we would go to friends' houses to see their beautiful Christmas tree, but there was a feeling not to ever have it in your home and to create Mm -hmm. this 
distinction. So where do you draw the line? Mm -hmm. What does it mean to be Jewish and what does it mean to be Christian? I want you to know that in traditional families, that is a custom that you're going to come up to. Mm -hmm. And those boys, whether they know why or not, are afraid to go against the family tradition. Yeah, I mean, he clearly hasn't given a, a lot of thought because if he does, you know, if he had somebody to really talk it out, that would be one thing. Most of the time, it's my parents, maybe as Holocaust survivors, as grandparents, or as family went through that. Yeah. And those relatives or family members are referring back to the days when there was a rift between religions. Mm -hmm. And that's what you have to respect. Mm -hmm. It was traumatic for the Jewish people to go through the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. And there was this sense that Jews were bad and Christians were good or, or Nazis were good or whatever that was. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where it comes from if we look at it. And it's scary because there were so few Jews after the Holocaust that there was a sense that we would just disappear. So the families, I think, that survived said, don't assimilate because we'll lose our tradition, which isn't really the truth. Because what's happened is it's actually made people more knowledgeable. It's actually brought more people in. You have to remember that Judaism is so small. It's 0. 0.0 something percent. Mm. And we're a very small population. So that kind of talking or thinking is, it comes from fear mm -hmm. and not updating. And your joy around it is what, hopefully, is what he is connecting to. And your stories around it is where the respect comes in and not to shut down because somebody is uncomfortable. And at some point saying, you know, I'm curious, you know, what did you grow up with? They will have to confront and update where it comes from. Oh, my mother told me not to, or they would be mad at me. That is confrontational. And there you go. That's growing up. Yes. So absolutely. that represents the, you know, conflicts or, or more discussion, which is actually great because it deepens everything. Yeah, you're so right. And I do think that it takes so much more self-reflection than maybe you initially think, because earlier, before we had this discussion, I remember, you know, thinking, oh, well, there is another model in the family where his brother married somebody who's Christian and they celebrate Hanukkah and they celebrate Christmas. And he went out of his way to mention they have a Christmas tree. And so I kind of, you know, wasn't actively thinking about it. It was just something I stored in the back of my mind as, oh, well, that wouldn't be an issue because it's not as if it's something that wouldn't be accepted from the broader family. So it was definitely interesting to realize that it brought up more, more internal strife than I might have initially realized. Yeah. And you could say, why would it be okay for your brother, but not for you? Do you have strong beliefs? Mm -hmm. What are your strong beliefs that would make you feel bad having that? Because then you'll learn more about him and what he stands for. Yeah. But it can feel rejecting and it can be off-putting. But I'm hoping I gave you a little bit more of where it comes from. Yeah. Because it's not meant to be that way. But I absolutely understand the other side. Mm -hmm. 100%. And that's such important perspective to remember. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that this was really wonderful. And I would love to just close out and end with any takeaways that you would like to leave with people who are thinking that your services might be a good fit for them, where they can find you, all of that great information. I think now is a great time to reach out and start, you know, inquiring of what places of worship interest you because almost everything we have right now is online mm -hmm. and our website is a great place to see what we're about because it's really our history and their videos so you can see if it resonates with you you'll find it at www.nachshonminion.org and i'm going to spell it because it's a yes. little confusing it's n-a-c-h-s-h-o-n M-I-N-Y-A-N, nachshonminion.org. And the reason we call it the Nachshon Minion is because one of Moses's 
contemporaries who left Egypt during the time of slavery was by his side. And they came up to the Sea of Reeds that was not going to open. They just saw the sea in front of them and Pharaoh's troops coming towards them. And it was Nachshon, actually, who took a leap of faith, who went into the water. And once God saw that we were willing, that's when the sea split. So I took a leap of faith 15 years ago and started a congregation in my home with people like you and with like-minded people who wanted to update their Judaism. And that and minion is the number 10. Mm. And I started with 10 people. And every year I promised that if 10 more showed, I'd keep going. And that's been the experience every year. I look for my 10 and keep going. And now we're about 120 families, so family units. So it's about 300 people. And I hope that you'll take a look at our website just to get to know us. And you can reach me and my team. They're incredible. And we're always looking for couples and people who don't feel fulfilled. We used to call ourselves the place to go if you're unaffiliated and unfulfilliated. (laughs) So I love having the conversation and I'd love to speak with you. So that's where you can reach me. Amazing. And I will link to the website in the episode notes as well for people who would like to visit. Thank you so much. Yes, it's just been a pleasure talking with you. It really has. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Let's be exclusive. Subscribe to Interstates and Heartbreak wherever you listen to podcasts for more firsthand stories about the unglamorous side of dating in Los Angeles. And while you're at it, you can write me a love letter with a rating and review on Apple. See you next Sunday.